0: Mike. Yeah. The night President Lincoln was assassinated. Do you know what play he was watching?
1: I didn't think we were going this direction. (laughs) Aren't we talking about Ted Lasso today?
0: Yeah, but this is actually kind of relevant. So the play Lincoln was watching was called Our American Cousin by an English playwright named Tom Taylor. In this play, There is a family that owns a country estate in England, and they've fallen on hard times financially. So they reach out to their rich American cousin, Asa Trenchard, who lives in Brattleboro, Vermont.
1: Oh, my home state.
0: When Asa comes to England at the invitation of his family and attempts to claim the estate, the humor of the play really rests on the clash of manners between Asa and his sort of uncouth American speech and manners and the appalled British family.
1: That, that does sound a little relevant.
0: Asa is aware that he's rubbing his English cousins the wrong way. He even calls himself a, quote, rough customer. In the course of this play, the English family members get over their initial reaction to their American cousin Asa. They start to realize he has a good heart and it is through his efforts that the estate is finally saved.
1: That could bode well for uh, Ted.
0: You can see I'm building an analogy here. Because this is a pretty common thing in British and American literature of the time, of any time.
1: So this episode, Trent Krim, The Independent, Trent doesn't actually show up the midway through the episode. And yet he sits in the background the whole way through because the episode is much about, again, Rebecca attempting to weaponize the tabloid industry. Although Trent doesn't really work for tabloid, he works for the the better paper. They have such distinctions in the UK.
0: And thinking back to our discussion of credibility as an important Mm. quality in a leader, I think this is her attempt to undermine Ted using a more credible journalistic source.
1: So this is the, the downside of credibility.
0: Credibility is a quality that can be wielded for good and evil.
1: And as we know, Rebecca is capable of both. We have Ted Lasso and Trent Krim. their names are almost comically playing up their differences. And Ted Lasso, our, our American hero does play this American ingenue, this innocent abroad, or is he? But he certainly plays it that way with his jokes and his folksy style. Trent is much more the cynical European. And you can really see this when Trent says, oh, it's amazing that you just happened to be invited to a school on the day that I'm interviewing you and Ted sort of shrugs his you. shoulders. I guess it is weird coincidence. Because it was not intended. It was not a humanizing effort on Ted's part. It just happened. It's play between these two characters. And this is as old as the United States is old, this kind of view that Americans have of themselves, find themselves adrift, not fully able to read or to understand what's going on around them as they try to navigate the rocky shoals of the European social world.
0: I spent some time in London when I was in college, and there are a lot of Americans who study abroad their junior year in London. And for the most part, the British students didn't really want to have much to do with the Americans. And I got that. This wasn't a time when Americans were held in high regard. We didn't have a lot of common pop culture to reference like we do now. But there was a certain kind of American who actually did really well socially with the British, I'm just realizing they were Ted Lasso. Right. They were the people who had no subtext, who were socially fearless, but completely nice, genuine people. That style of American actually did really well with people in London. So this is something I've observed myself, that the innocent putting it all out there American actually can be really successful in breaking through the facade and building trust.
1: I want to note a couple of summers ago, we took our young family to the UK and the lovely people of London could not have been friendlier or more helpful.
0: Yeah, I was delighted by how friendly I felt like we were treated even after people heard our American accents.
1: Even then they, they embraced us. They helped us through some tricky moments in the day. Maybe they saw the five of us as uh, American savages.
0: Maybe, or maybe just all that American TV that everybody's been watching has made Americans more welcome all over the world. I don't know. Thank you, Netflix.
1: I'll be there for you. Indeed.
0: I'm Kathy Buckman.
1: I'm Mike Merrill. This is Lasso Lessons. Coming up, season one, episode three of Ted Lasso, French Crim, The Independence. Just as episode two of Ted Lasso begins with Ted waking in the morning, so episode three, Trent Krim, The Independent, opens with a 6 a.m. alarm and connection by the band Elastica, pounding under Rebecca's exultant morning routine. Once in her office, we see her ripping through the morning tabloids, obviously looking for the compromising pictures of Ted and Keeley that she has arranged. As it becomes clear they are not there, she screams in frustration. In the locker room, Ted asks Coach Beard and Nate for new ideas, something besides just giving the ball to Jamie, their most reliable scorer. After some hesitation, Nate offers one. Use Jamie as a decoy. Keely shows up with the photos and says a friend of hers has intercepted them and can hold them for a few days. They both go to see Rebecca, who says that she can reach out to the owner of the Sun, the paper that's threatening to publish them.
0: It's important to note that when Rebecca offers to call the owner of the sun to get the photos held. Ted and Keely both interpret this as being a gesture of support, but she's motivated by protecting herself because she feels like it's possible they will uncover that she was the one who orchestrated the entire thing.
1: We next see the team trying the new play on the practice field and witness Jamie's displeasure and Roy's glee.
0: Glee is not really the word for Roy in most cases, but he does seem to be pleasantly inclined.
1: Ted has given the team the gift of books, which most reject.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about those books later.
1: Roy reports to Ted that Nate has been harassed by Jamie and his side pricks, as he calls them. Ted says he will not interfere. Ted tells Coach Beard that he's intentionally winding up Roy, since if they're going to affect change, the first domino that needs to fall is inside Roy's heart. Rebecca tells Ted that the owner of the Sun has agreed not to publish the photos. In return, his more reputable paper, The Independent, will be sending Trent Krim to write a profile on Ted. Trent appears on the field watching the new play.
0: There's Trent. We saw him in the pilot. He's back. He's got a lovely head of hair.
1: (laughs) He expresses disbelief when he learns that Nate, the kit man, designed the play. Ted, Trent, and Roy visit a school where they play soccer with the children. Afterwards... Having repeatedly failed to get Jamie to stop picking on Nate, Roy challenges Ted regarding what he sees as his manipulative ways and his gifts, A Wrinkle in Time, the book that Ted has given Roy.
0: That was a book I read quite a lot when I was a kid. I think I can say I grew up in a science fiction family and A Wrinkle in Time is science fiction. It's young adult before young adult was really a thing. And it's got a strong female protagonist. I really loved that book.
1: Trent explains that it's about a young girl's struggle with the burden of leadership. Later, over dinner, Trent asks Ted why he's taking on the coaching role and says that Ted is being irresponsible. Ted says he loves coaching. Success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these fellows be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. We then see Roy reading A Wrinkle in Time to his niece. It has to be me. Can't be anyone else.
0: Yeah. So I think at this point, the domino has started to fall inside Roy's heart.
1: Roy then goes to a bar where his team is gathered. In a voiceover, we hear Trent reading of Ted. His coaching style is subtle. It never hits you over the head. Just as Roy headbutts one of Jamie's side pricks. I can't help but root for him is how Trent's profile finishes. The episode ends as it begins, with a frustrated Rebecca, this time falling back out of frame. Okay, great. Why don't we jump in? So what do you have to say about this, Kathy?
0: My headline here would be that the leadership story is thickening. Up to this point, it's been pretty straightforward. We see Ted doing things, and we can describe what he's doing from a leadership point of view. In this episode, though, I think we start to see more dimensions of leadership. And we also start to wonder if maybe Ted's leadership is not exactly what this team needs. Interesting. So first, I want to point out that we have a callback in this episode to the idea of inclusive leadership, which as you may recall, we are defining as a type of leadership where the leader is aware of their own biases and preferences. We'd probably add here limitations as well. And so they actively seek out and consider different views and perspectives to inform better decision-making.
1: Yeah. We've paved the path a bit with Nate already by praising his sports drink. If you offer me something, I'm going to tell you if I like it.
0: Exactly. And so this is where we see Ted actively soliciting ideas from others, specifically Nate's play. That is going to use Jamie as a decoy. That Ted is open to this idea and willing to try it is a pretty clear example of where inclusive leadership gets you. I think the only other element to add here is that Ted is unconcerned what Trent Krim will make of this. His reply, you're taking plays from the kit man. Ted feels no shame or sense of Being caught out in any way. He's proud of this. This is a style of leadership that he's chosen very intentionally and is unapologetic about it.
1: We project that this may not have been the first time that Ted has run into some sort of resistance to his way of.
0: That is a fair point. Inclusive leadership is not necessarily the most common style of leadership that you'll see. And I imagine in the world of sports, it's even more rare. And you can see why, because it is a style of leadership that does not put your own credibility, your own knowledge, your own expertise front and center. It allows you to add on to what you know by pulling in what other people know. I imagine a lot of sports coaches who are attached to the idea of having a certain mystique a certain era of infallibility would not be willing to do this sort of maneuver that Ted is pulling here.
1: Yep. That sounds about right.
0: In this episode, we start to see some dimensions of leadership that really have to do with followers. The people who follow the leader, essentially leading means you're leading other people. And without people who are willing to follow you, what kind of a leader are you? We see Ted, in two ways, directly engage in developing, investing in the people who would be his followers, the books. That's the first example I would cite here. He is, as a leader, trying to inspire self-knowledge in others. This is a really important thing that leaders can do is they can help the people on their team just generally be more self-aware of what they're good at, what they're working on, where they're going, what they want. And he does it in his typical Ted style and in an indirect fashion, by giving them books which appear to be specifically chosen to each person.
1: The model for this may well be Phil Jackson, the legendary coach of the Chicago Bulls and later the LA Lakers, who gave out books to his players, again, with apparently mixed success. Many players speak a little disparagingly, even after all these years, about Phil's books. So before we talk about A Wrinkle in Time, Ted gives Jamie a book by F. Scott Fitzgerald.
0: Yes, The Beautiful and Damned.
1: We basically think Jamie's both.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is not as widely read as The Great Gatsby, but the theme seems to be well chosen. The Beautiful and Damned is a story of a... Superficial young man who lives off his family's fortune becomes obsessed with the beautiful woman, and then the two of them devote themselves to living the most glamorous and comfortable life they can until the money runs out. It almost feels like a warning when you give a book like that to Jamie.
1: Ted gives Sam Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card.
0: Yeah, I know this book. It's a well known sci fi novel. The main character, Ender, is repeatedly harassed and attacked by people who are envious of his brilliance. Ultimately, he's manipulated because of his strong compassion. But this quality becomes the source of his redemption at the end of the book.
1: That sounds a little bit like Sam because Sam was harassed by Jamie after he scored the goal. Jamie doesn't like the fact that Sam is actually pretty proficient in something that Jamie thinks of as his bailiwick.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think if you're trying to help somebody who's a compassionate person endure the attacks from the envious, this might not be a bad book to give them.
1: The book that Ted gives Roy is Madeline Lengel's A Wrinkle in Time, a classic.
0: I read that book a lot as a kid and really Mm. loved it, but I never thought it was a book about leadership. That's exactly what it is. Now, in retrospect, it's about how an individual needs to rise past what they think of as their own limits and
1: do something heroic. that certainly seems fitting, doesn't it?
0: It absolutely does. And that brings me to my second observation about the ways in which we are starting in this episode to see Ted as a leader of others by giving Roy this insight into himself, that what Roy faces here is a challenge of stepping up and being more of a leader is essentially an example of what a leader can do by building other leaders. So you as a leader clearly operate best if you're not intimidated by the skills and abilities of others, and in fact, seek to openly build the abilities of those on your team. There's a way of looking at this. This is almost like the obligation to delegate. Roy very much wants Ted to address the bullying that's going on in the clubhouse. And Roy thinks of it, as ted's responsibility but when ted refuses to do anything about it he is essentially though indirectly in his usual style delegating the responsibility to roy seeing if roy will rise to the challenge and by the end of the episode roy does
1: he has a couple false starts right he does go to jamie and say hey cut it out stop it it doesn't take He's got to put more of himself on the line. He has to put physically put his body on the line. He's got to commit. He's got to put his head into it. This ends with Roy slamming his head straight into someone else's to make his point.
0: Yes. So Roy has to actually put something on the line here in order to step up and be a leader. And notably it's certainly not the way Ted would have done this. It's hard to imagine Ted Lasso (laughs) threatening someone and committing physical violence. That is not how Ted would have done it. But I think by delegating this problem to Roy, by essentially inviting Roy to step up and be more of a leader, what Ted is doing is saying, you may solve it in a way that I wouldn't.
1: And what do we think about the kind of open manipulation. It's a pretty interesting form of manipulation where literally Roy knows he's being manipulated. He even does a very bad impersonation of Ted manipulating him. What do we think about that?
0: This is where I believe it's possible to start seeing Ted differently, not seeing him as someone who is skillfully implementing a very direct and textbook Harvard Business School style of leadership. He's starting to do things that we might question whether this is the best way to do this. Most people really don't enjoy the process of being manipulated. Roy knows he's being manipulated and really dislikes it. Just this good leadership.
1: It's also interesting that basically Roy, upon learning that Ted won't intervene, does go to Jamie and speaks to him offhandedly. It doesn't take. He has to go back. And what gets him to commit to going back is reading the book to his niece. I think there's something there, right? There's something about reading about the burden of leadership to someone you care about, someone in your own family, and setting an example in some ways. He sets a bad example in that he swears, (laughs) but he sets a good example in that he goes out and puts himself on the line to fix a bad thing.
0: The book acts exactly the way that Ted would have hoped, which is... By taking the issue out of the immediate context, it allows Roy to see that stepping up into leadership is something you do for other people. You do it to set an example and you do it to make the environment better. So he sees beyond the manipulation to the reason why he personally might want to do this is in order to be the kind of person he wants to be.
1: Okay. Let's talk a little bit about Mr. John Wooden who I think sits behind here in a lot of ways. The quote that we have from Ted is, success is not about wins and losses. It's about helping these fellows be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. And that comes very close to John Wooden's philosophy. So think about that quote we read from Ted. Here's a quote from John Wooden. Success comes from knowing that you did your best to become the best that you are capable of becoming. That's very close to what Ted says his goal is.
0: That's really close.
1: John Wooden is the, I'm going to say it again, legendary coach of the UCLA basketball team. He coached the likes of Bill Walton and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and many, many others to many victories. A few of his quotes ascribed to him. Be true to yourself. Make each day a masterpiece. Help others. Drink deeply from good books. Make friendship a fine art. Be true to yourself, Jack Make each day a masterpiece. Yeah, check. Help others. Absolutely. Drink deeply from good books. Yes. Make friendship a fine art. We know that intimacy is very important to Ted. John Wooden's Pyramid. We see this first in episode one when Coach Beard and Ted are putting together the office that abuts the locker room. We see them putting their desks together and we see Coach Beard putting up John Wooden's Pyramid. It also appears in this episode and a few kind of distant shots behind Ted and Coach Beard. So we know it's very important to their way of seeing their job. We've had a bunch of pyramids on this show already. In episode one, we talked about Inverting the Pyramid, which is the soccer book that Coach Beard reads. Also, as you explained to us, Kathy, Inverting the Pyramid is the hallmark of inclusive leadership. Instead of thinking of the leader on top, everyone else below... Inverting that and thinking of the leader as supporting all the hardworking people.
0: Oh, you did a nice job Okay, explaining that.
1: The second episode, we talked a bit about Maslow's pyramid of needs with the base needs at the bottom. And as you go higher up, you get into more abstract needs. Coach John Wooden's pyramid is in the spirit, I think, of Maslow's pyramid. It would surprise me if he wasn't thinking about it when he created it. At the very top of John Wooden's pyramid is competitive greatness. But to get there, you've got to build up. And where you start are with industriousness, friendship, loyalty, cooperation, and enthusiasm. I love that last one because if Mm. there's one thing that uh, Coach Ted Lasso is, it's enthusiastic, right?
0: No kidding. I think those adjectives or concepts are all things that he's clearly focused on.
1: So that's Wooden's Pyramid. And it really suggests the things that you got to do at the bottom to build up towards the top. Those adjectives do sound like the things that Ted Lasso focuses on when he first gets there before he can worry about wins and losses.
0: Yeah, completely. What I really feel is important in this episode is for the very first time, this is when we, the viewers of this show, hear Ted articulate his leadership philosophy directly. We don't just hear him say it. He says it directly to Trent Krim, who he knows is going to publish it in a newspaper. So essentially, Ted is standing up and saying, here's my belief about what I do as a leader. And this is actually a really important part of leadership. If you have a philosophy, if you have a vision, if there's a thing that you think you're doing, say what it is, because leadership requires you to actually make certain kinds of declarations. We talk about this sometimes as leadership declarations. Leaders need to say what they stand for because leaders need followers. And if you're going to follow somebody, you need to know where they're taking you. Ted, by doing this, is actually demonstrating an obligation of leadership. And this vision that he articulates, which sounds very much like John Wooden, to make the players the best versions of themselves on and off the field, is admirable. It's inspiring. But is it enough?
1: Is it enough? It's a good question.
0: Trent Krim himself in the article says he is almost certainly going to
1: fail. Yeah. He's rooting for him, but he's probably going to fail.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: He gets gets Ted. He sees Ted. He says, I see you. I'm rooting for you, but you're up against it here.
0: You're clearly doing something and there's nothing wrong with it, right? We can't say this is wrong. It's hard to imagine what else would be better than that in terms of its intention, but the results are not likely to be great.
1: Right. Again, the results in terms of way Trent and the community and everybody thinks about it, which is relegation. If your goal is not to be relegated, then uh, you may not be on the right path here. But again, Ted tells you that's not my goal. My goal is making these guys better.
0: I think this is where we start to see Ted as having a blind spot. I think he's holding too tightly to this leadership vision wow. here. I don't think it really suits the situation he's in. There are clear consequences. Negative consequences for the people he's supposed to be leading. I would say he's maybe too much at this point inside his own perspective and not seeing things from the perspective of other.
1: Well, let's see what uh, plays out. See if that improves over the course of the rest of the first season. So that's season one, episode three, Trent Crim, the Independent. Coming up next, season one, episode four, for the children, in which Rebecca throws a party and a whole lot of advice is given.